glad you are part of our community. I'm Bill Galtier, and I'm with my wife and partner, Christy. We're doctors of psychology and the founders of Soul Shepherding. We hope you were encouraged by our just-finished series of podcasts on our new book, Healing Prayer for Emotional and Physical Wholeness. You can order this book on our website. Today is part of a series of Soul Talks on relationally healthy leadership. We'll be drawing on material from our Institute in Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. As part of our Institute, you can earn a certificate in the Ministry of Spiritual Direction. Prepare to be inspired in your role for serving God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, that it's a good thing to aspire to leadership, as long as we remain submitted to God and in sync with the love of Jesus. Friends, it's fun to be back in our Soul Talks studio here with you and with Charlie. We're so happy to have you in our community listening to us. Christy and I just got back from Oregon, uh, Cannon Beach there, a very special uh, place for your family, Christy, going back many years. And we had had a week there at the beach, and it might sound like we were just kicking back, having fun, but we were writing a book. And so we were interspersing walks on the beach and hikes in the forest and uh, different uh, sorts of adventures with uh, many hours of conversation and writing for our book, which is tentatively titled Soul Shepherding, Growing Strong in the Stages of Grace. And this book uh, relates to our subject today on leadership, because this is a new tool for you in your life and your ministry, which will help you understand the stage of grace that you are in, in your journey with Jesus and the people that you minister to in your life, your church, uh, your small group, your friends, uh, people on your staff, if you're a pastor, and the people that you're serving when you're, you're preaching or teaching a Bible study, when we know the stage the people are in in their faith journey. It uh, affects our, our programming and our disciplines and our soul talk conversations. And we so appreciate your prayers for us as we are writing this. It's an act of love. Writing is hard work, especially yeah. for me, but even for you, even though you love it and you're gifted in it. And it takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of commitment, a lot of perseverance. And a lot of prayer, and we seek to really do this in the Lord's grace and, and power and spirit and inspiration. And so we, we thank you for your prayers for us and also for Ravel Books. Uh, Baker Publishing Group is in the decisions they're making and will be making with us as we're sending them chapters that we've written and partnering so, with them. So stay tuned. That's a little more than a year away. That's the publishing process. It takes a long time, but we're, we're excited to be in the saddle together doing this. We are, and to be in the saddle together here on Salt Talks. And we've been sharing with you in this series on leadership some little clips, some little tiny teaching clips from our Soul Shepherding Institute. And we've got another one for you today that we're going to be sharing with you. This is a little 10-minute clip out of an hour and a half teaching session that we have. And this one is, we're really teaching and emphasizing the importance of healthy leadership. And that's a real value with soul shepherding. And we want to cultivate healthy leaders. And that's one of the things we do in our institute is teaching and experiences and process time and prayer times and giving tools and all kinds of opportunities for community and discussion. 
And as I just listened to this little teaching clip that we're going to share with you today, I I felt a little sad. I was kind of like, oh, but you can't see Bill's face and you can't <laughs> see his, his body motions in this. And it feels like we're missing so much of the communication because of that. And so we would love to have you come and join us in person. But rather than withhold anything from you and making it all or nothing, we want to share a little bit of some of what God does during those weeks, and we pray that He may even use this to issue an invitation to you to come and join us, or someone you know, or a pastor or leader that's blessed you. We have a couple cohorts starting this year in October and January, so you can find applications as well as information all on the Soul Shepherding website at the top. There's a little word that says Institute. You can and click on. But let's get to your teaching here, Bill, on healthy leadership. So emotionally intelligent leadership is loving. We have an article, Emotionally Smart Leaders, and we explore the studies of Daniel Goleman on emotional intelligence or EQ. EQ is parallel to IQ. And the basic point that we make is that EQ is really not only as important, but probably more important to our success in life than IQ. Using the term success in a, uh, the best meaning of that term, like fruitfulness, spiritual, uh, healthy, relational faith success is very much tied to emotional health and emotional intelligence. And coming out of the research, there are five core EQ competencies to help me and you remember them, we have put them in an acronym, uh, S-M-A-R-T, Smart Leadership. The basic idea of this comes from David and Jan Stoop in their book, Smart Love, although I've changed the descriptive terms just a little bit. Self-awareness is the S, and this is a developmental progression, uh, but all the aspects of EQ come out of self-awareness. And there's a whole school of spirituality around awareness that's a big deal. Uh, the Enneagram is based on this. It uses the term presence. Uh, sometimes that gets a little new agey, a little self-helpy, a little kind of narcissistic, I believe. But the core of it is like really good and essential that you, you can't have significant God awareness or other people awareness without self-awareness. Love your neighbor as yourself. So super important, the more we would be aware of ourselves, our emotions, our weaknesses, our sins, our gifts, our hopes, our values, our, our struggles, all the stuff that make up our, our personality, our identity, under God or not under God, to be aware of that is always a good thing. The truth is always your friend. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth is primarily God, God's reality, God's kingdom, God's word, but God's creation also, we are God's creation. And part of us has gone awry, we're fallen, uh, we've, we've uh, rejected God in, in ways and relied on ourselves. So we need to be aware, the more we are aware of ourselves, the more we can then uh, progress in life. And so everything else now flows from this awareness, particularly of emotions we're talking about now, because emotions is like the portal of all this other stuff I just described. You wanna understand your weaknesses and your strengths? Well, being aware of your feelings is gonna help you do that. So managing emotions comes next. And so the idea here is that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. To be implicit in self-control is self or self-awareness. So it's uh, super important. 
If we want to regulate our emotions, which is always a good thing, we need to be aware of them. Can't proceed very far in life and in leadership, uh, in good works, without being able to manage and regulate our emotions. Obviously, if we're flying off the handle of people, if we're falling down into sulking, if we're engaged in compulsive behavior like we were talking about, is not going to be helpful in our relationships and in our work. Activation, or it's often called motivation, is another characteristic of EQ, or what we're calling smart love. When we are self-aware, when we have self-control, then we have a greater capacity for activation, for having energy to do what is good. The gap between intention and action is pretty huge. And to be activated or to be motivated to be energized by the Holy Spirit, as uh, we read from Philippians 2.13, is very helpful to life and to work. Part of this is we, you know, we keep learning, we keep improving, we keep an optimistic attitude, we can persevere. Perseverance shows up a lot in Fruit of the Spirit and other lists of mature love that is related to motivation. It takes a lot of motivation to persevere. Relating with empathy. I use the relating to fit the SMART acronym. So empathy, we talk a lot about empathy and soul shepherding as part of, our, part of our DNA, our core values, especially for those of you in the spiritual direction training program. It is like so essential that you come out of that program with a real appreciation for that and you're growing in your, your lifestyle of receiving empathy and then giving empathy to other people. It's like we want to send you out into your community as a soul shepherd to other people, including men and women in ministry. And we want to know that the people that are consulting with you will not only get gentle wisdom and, and things that we teach you, but most of all, they'll get empathy. Because through that channel of empathy, they can get a connection to God. And so we just think that's really important. And a lot of uh, coaches, like life coaches, even pastoral counselors are not good with empathy. And there are places where we've got pastors ministering to pastors, but they're not really trained in empathy. They're not very good with it. And we would never want that to be true in soul shepherding. So we just think that's so important. And we'll be going into more examples of that as the week goes on. But there's just numerous examples, probably from your own life if you think about it, of Christian leaders that you've talked with and you did not receive empathy. That is not the way of Jesus. That really, no matter how much truth they have to give, no matter how much ability they have to be uh, successful in the church world or in the nonprofit world, if they're lacking in empathy, it is hurtful to people. And probably we've made that mistake, all of us, more or less, as teachers or small group leaders or pastors or soul shepherds or counselors, and we have lacked empathy for people that have come to us for care. Even therapists can lack empathy because at the core of it, empathy is not a clinical technique. Yes, there are clinical techniques that are involved. We can study, we can learn, we can get more proficient at. But in early years as a therapist, I had one client I'll never forget and she confronted me. She did it in a very harsh, demeaning way because she's rather narcissistic. But I had to admit that she was right. And she just said, this environment here is sterile and you're using all these clinical techniques with me, but I don't, I don't feel your care. 
And I was asking the right questions. I was using the right statements and techniques, and I was really trying to care for her. But part of it was her abrasive manner. Part of it was my inexperience. Part of it was my immaturity. I wasn't that great. It just, from my heart, naturally, gently, in the, in the overflow, giving empathy, tender-hearted listening, compassionate caring. And so she wasn't receiving that. So part of that was on me. Part of that was on her. But I always remember that. If I'm clinically good with empathy, but it's not genuine, natural, gentle, joyful, it's not going to translate into you feeling cared for. See, so we need to be organically entering into a relationship where we're really caring, we're really touched by the feelings of other people. When you really receive empathy, you understand the power of it, how healing it is. What a powerful form of love. Yeah, the Psalms just joyfully scream with empathy, as does Job, uh, as does Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. What is the incarnation if it's not an expression of empathy? Not that that's the sum total of it, but Jesus, God, taking on human skin, living our life, experiencing what we experience. You know, what is the cross if it doesn't include empathy? Jesus taking on the very worst suffering any human being has ever endured. Physically, probably, but spiritually, certainly. He's taking on our sin. Horrific torture he went through. And it was real pain. And he did that so that whatever pain you or I are going through, we could know we're not alone. Jesus went there first. and He understands. He's with us in that. That's empathy. The T in smart love is teeming with others. Uh, so important. This is an area that Christy and I are really learning more and more about, particularly administratively in our leadership, how to collaborate and team with others and delegate better. I'm not good at delegating, and I'm leaning into the Lord and the easy yoke, learning to get better. So, I mean, just think, how could you be above reproach in a way that you would be respected by other people and have Christly character without the smart love stuff we're talking about? It'd be hard to imagine that if you really understand it. Uh, faithful to your spouse if you're married. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah emotional health is going to be embedded into that. Spiritually mature. We, we talk a lot about that here. Emotional and spiritual mat maturity. Pete Scazzaro has given us this, you know, amazing wording, emotionally healthy spirituality. You know, I mean, that's like three words of like, ow, I get that. You know, it's so, so helpful. And his basic point is you can't be spiritually mature if you're not emotionally mature. You go back to the second week of our, of our institute on spiritual and psychological development. This is the book we're working on. And you look at spiritual growth, psychological growth, and you look at these side by side and say, wait, no, these are really two different languages and, and sciences or traditions for the same thing. And if you try to grow spiritually without growing psychologically and emotionally, you're going to be stunted. If you try to grow psychologically, emotionally, relationally, but you're not growing with God, you're going to be stunted. But when you integrate the two, that's life in Christ, and that's where you're really going to get your most and greatest maturity. Bill, as I was re-listening to this little clip of, from our Institute of You Teaching, and you said, you know, there's some biblical examples of empathy, and you mentioned the book of Job, kind of exuding with empathy. And I remember kind of thinking, hmm, I don't remember him saying that before. That's interesting, Bill. I, when I think of the book of Job, I don't think of empathy. <laughs> I think of, uh, wow, you know, God really allowed him to be tested and, and under this trial and for Satan to really, 
you know, plummet Job pretty bad. And then I think, you know, Job, God did really affirm Job and his, you know, Job spoke rightly about me and his, he was very affirming of Job and the way he handled his trial. And he was very um, strong in his words against Job's friends who failed in empathy, by the way, had a failure of empathy. But I don't really see God's empathy there. I do see him coming and really enthralling Job with him and showing Job his glory and his goodness and his majesty. And But to me, that feels like he's kind of humbling Job. It doesn't really feel like empathy. So help, help us understand, where do you see empathy in the book of Job? Well, I love, love that you're asking this, Christine, because uh, it just makes for a great conversation because empathy is like this. It's, it's subtle and we, we can miss it and not realize that we're missing it. It's sort of like if uh, we're living in a land where the air is not clean, eventually we get used to it, and we don't we don't know that there would be another place to live that would have pure, clear uh, air that would fill our lungs and energize our bodies. And, and empathy is like that, except as you're once you've really experienced it and been nourished by tender-hearted listening, uh, questions that are curious someone validating your emotions, someone just really being with you emotionally. We teach that empathy is like a, an emotional hug. Uh, as we experience that, then then we, we, we realize, oh, <laughs> we, we get like an appetite. I need this. Mm-hmm. And we yes. look for it everywhere. So it's easy to miss in the book of Job because uh, Job and the whole Bible, you know, it's not written like with extended dialogue questions and reflecting feeling statements uh, like a, a therapist would do. And so w- we can think that there is an empathy in the Bible. And we, we've been asked this and, and uh, preached on this in church. Well, and this is one of the things that's great about the Institute is we do get to unpack these kind of questions. And as F toward the done teaching and in the teaching, we allow for people to bubble up their questions and their comments and work kind of work this through and work through their resistances and work through their where, where they have experience you know, that does or doesn't resonate with what we're teaching. So here's where I would say the book of Job exudes with empathy. Uh, First of all, in the prologue of the book, we have this conversation between uh, God and Satan about Job, and Job does not uh, know about this conversation until after the fact. Uh, And in that conversation, we see clear evidence of the Lord God, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, has been walking with Job, breathing with Job, feeling with Job, uh, observing, noticing all the details of his life with tremendous concern and compassion, and as you said, Christy, great affirmation and pride in his servant Job. And so we, the reader, see God empathizing with Job. If we have, uh, as I was saying earlier, sort of eyes to to see and lungs to to uh, appreciate the the oxygen of empathy. And then in the beginning of how Job's friends respond to Job, they, uh, they're silent and they listen to him for uh, paragraphs and paragraphs and pages. And they're, they're in sackcloth and ashes as a sign of sharing in his mourning. And they're showing him great compassion and great wisdom by not speaking and by really listening. Now, perhaps they also offered some reflecting feeling statements. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say that. But that, that's where those friends were, were right, and they were ambassadors of the Lord there. They were expressing God's tenderness, God's compassion and empathy. 
Then we get into what is most of the chapters of the book, and Job's friends are just giving him what Job later calls Proverbs of Ashes. And sadly, this is a lot of what we do for each other, neighbor to neighbor, and even in the church, is we, we sort of dispense Bible verses, and uh, what Jesus refers to them as pearls of wisdom in Matthew 7. It's like, you know, hey, don't cast your pearls before the pigs, and the point there is not, you know, some people are just pigs, so don't give them your good stuff. That's a terrible way of thinking about it, but it's been interpreted that way. Uh, the point is that, well, pigs can't digest pearls. So don't give people uh, bits of wisdom that they're not asking for, that they're not ready for. Uh, empathy is the alternative, and that's asking questions, it's being curious, it's listening, it's being emotionally present, it's making sure you're understanding what somebody is saying and summarizing. So Job's friends are way off, and uh, God, uh, as you said at the end there, he, he corrects them for being off, and he, he wants them to get back to where they started with their uh, listening and being open-hearted and being prayerful for Job, and that's validating who God has been with Job all along. And then now at the end, yes, God shows up in glory, and, and there is a, a, a definitely a dominant message here. The, the uh, reverence for the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and God shines like the sun. God is, is pure and holy and all-knowing and, and awesome and great and grand, and Job gets a revelation of that. And then Job, uh, God unfolds the, the curtain of creation and, and shows Job how God has been involved in, in creating all, all the different uh, aspects in the universe and, and the, uh, the, the, the animals and so forth, and, and Job. And so this harkens back to Psalm 139, that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, uh, even in our inner parts, by the Lord. And so the Lord's intimate knowledge of us, again, is a sign of this uh, concern, this, this presence, this care that uh, we call empathy. And so, and then in, in the Lord's affirmation of Job, that's coming out of empathy. So yeah, we don't see God offering feeling reflection statements there at the end. So if, if that kind of dialogue happened, I think it very well could have, but it's not recorded in the scriptures, and the scriptures typically don't record that kind of thing. So the empathy in many ways is is inferred, and, it's, and, and then the, the biggest way in which the book of Job exudes with empathy, and what I primarily meant when I said that, is that it's in the Bible. It's there for you and for me, because we are going through uh, sufferings in our life, and we experience injustices, we experience pain, and we tend to feel alone, and we tend to feel like God is distant. And so what the Lord has done is, is in the inspiration of the Bible, which is so glorious and wonderful that God has provided the Bible for us. We have in the book of Job uh, just a, a, a huge embrace from the Lord that says, look, as I was with Job, so I am with you. And we just have to understand it that way. And what we tend to do is we tend to project into the story of Job, like we tend to project into the Bible, our mistaken ideas about God. And we have to start with the understanding that God is, is always present and, and always loving, and that's what's going on here in the book. And when, when we start with that understanding, the God of the Bible, as he's revealed throughout scriptures, and then most especially and perfectly in Jesus, we can see, you know, God is very much present with 
compassion and understanding and validation of Job's experience. The Lord intimately knows Job's experience and cares so much to, to show up to him and manifest himself in a very poignant way to, to say, hey, Job, I am here for you. I see your life. I care about you. I want to help you. And of course, you know, we know how the book ends, that the Lord restores Job. And as Job is in, in heaven now, I'm sure that a part of his testimony of faith is to speak about the, the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord God throughout his life, even through his sufferings. So I hear you saying that we need to be careful because what we can do is, like I was doing, I can project my abandonment issues onto the book of Job and see it through the lens of, oh, God abandons Job. Instead, you're saying, no, wait a second, project God's empathy and goodness into the book of Job and see how empathetic God is being in to Job, first of all, in these different ways, but then also to you by putting this ex- this story, this example of Job in Scripture for you. Yes, that's that's right, Christy. And also, what we do is we project into Job our our punishment issues, our anger issues. So, if we've been uh, harshly punished as children, or we've had uh, been hurt by anger, or we have our own anger problems, then we we read that into the story of Job, and then we, we experience God as being very harsh with Job there in the end. And uh, Job is not regretful that God has shown up in glory. Job is experiencing the, the beauty of the Lord, and as overpowering as God is in one sense in, in there in the end of Job, that is nothing compared to what God is capable of right? I mean, you get too close to the sun and you get incinerated. And how much more brilliant and glorious is God than the sun, you see? So God uh, comes to us with uh, like a mother hen to her little chicks, and he, he opens up his wing there and the soft feathers there for us to come close. And so we, we take refuge from the, the, the holiness and glory and overwhelming awesomeness of God in God, God makes himself safe for us. And so God is doing that there for Job, and he's doing that for us, the reader. Lord, we are so very thankful to you for the ways you take initiative in love and in empathy and compassion for us and the ways you show yourself and your glory and your goodness and your love to us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to see your goodness, to be enthralled with you, to trust you, to receive your love, even your empathetic love, more and more into the depths of our souls, and then to let that flow to others through us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Our mission is to train you to thrive with Jesus in your life and leadership. The best way we can do that is in our Soul Shepherding Institute retreats with the added training to earn a certificate in the Ministry of Spiritual Direction. We'd love to have you and your friends join us in our institute. We have a new cohort starting soon. 